0: Okay, inappropriate old guest. As you know, I used to, back in the day of this podcast, used to just have my funny friends on, and and it was really the glory days of, of the podcast. We strayed a little bit trying to get these big, fat celebrities on. And I don't mean Ralphie Mae, but just people who could draw numbers. Uh, we're back to getting my friends on. This next guest is a dude who, in my early years of L.A. stand-up, I noticed he was heads and tails above the rest of us. And uh, I was lucky enough to perform a road gig with him. We'll get into that. But he has a documentary out now called One-Nighters on Amazon that is really about the life of the road comic, in two road comics in this case. Please, former writer on Jay Leno's show, former writer on Arsenio Hall, Mr. Phil Perrier. Thank you, Earl. Good to be with you dude uh you've always been one of the funniest people i know and uh i just when i saw the documentary i watched it last night watched it straight through uh i almost teared up i did tear up at times because i don't think people you know they see the glamour side of the road which is say joe rogan or sebastian or whoever uh, in packed arenas and whatnot they don't see the triple run side of the business which is you know 10 hour drives in between gigs and and that's really what your documentary is about how did you get it on amazon i mean that's a pretty good feat
1: yeah you know i i just i submitted it and they and they took it and i (laughs) i was pleasantly surprised it did not take very long and uh for i mean that part of everything else took you know years but getting it on there uh, was surprisingly easy. And, uh, yeah, I was delighted. It was a dream come true. You know, I've been wanting this thing, you know, in front of people. And, you know, I, I think eventually it'll be on YouTube for free and everybody can see it. But having it, uh, you know, because for years, people were like, man, what's up with that documentary? And where's that documentary? And I'm, like, oh, you know, I'm working on it. Or, you know, so it was one of those sore subjects. But now I'm just like, go to Amazon, you know, pony up 99 cents. Enjoy.
0: It's money well worth worth it. I mean, it's... I think any comic should watch it, whether you're famous or not. If you're famous, you'll relive the glory days of the struggle. Uh, And, you know, Billy Gardell's in it, a legendary uh, comic from Pittsburgh and and many other uh, comics. Bob Bob
1: of Bob Hart's Abishola, right?
0: Yeah. Uh, He's done so many things. You know, Billy Gardell has turned into the modern-day M. Emmett Walsh. Like, he's... resume is just you know tv shows movies and yeah. uh even he's he rich and famous yes uh, i bombed uh in front of him once at michael's pub in north hollywood i, I, <laughs> I haven't talked to him since
1: uh i've uh, done some bombing in north hollywood myself
0: <laughs> well i often tell people if you want to find out what a triple run is without doing one uh just drive around uh, michael's pub in north hollywood for about 12 hours uh, get out of your <laughs> Get out of your car, do a set, and then drive around again for twelve hours, and that's a treble run. Uh,
2: yeah, you
1: know it's uh, funny you mention because um, Jason Rouse, the guy that that uh, edited it, showed it to some comedian friend. He lives in Portland, and he showed it to some comedians, and he almost invariably said the same thing. It's like they all kind of got choked up because it's it's like they all recognize, wow, that's that's my life. I, I've done, I've been to those gigs, and I've stayed in those hotels, and those. It, it just every comic has been through that that baptism of fire that, you know, that sort of minor league type of gig where it's like, you're saying long drives, low money, but you know, sometimes when you're on stage, the magic is, is, is real.
0: Oh yeah. I, when you went to the clip of, in Kalispell, Montana, I remember the one treble run I did do. I actually left halfway through because there were some uh, circumstances that uh, Dave and Rocky Watul did not. Uh, I, I worked up there with Rocky. Uh, Rocky was a great guy, but he was kind of Tribble's. I I don't want to say sidekick, but he he was like Tribble's. I guess LA connection to the comics. Yeah, Uh, and uh, you know, Rocky told me, uh, "Oh, yeah, uh, off nights are covered on the road." I thought, okay, that makes it a little easier to digest. Covered in what
1: way? Like a per diem?
0: Well, yeah, it was like a three-week run in my case. uh, Two days before, and this is just giving. The general public an insight into like a triple like run. Uh, Dave calls me up and says, Yeah, the first week's canceled. I was like, Oh, uh, damn, yeah, I would have liked a little more notice in two days, uh, <laughs> but okay, you know. And then, uh, so this last two weeks were I think it was six shows in 10 days, and yeah, uh, routed like Stevie Wonder had put this tour together. Yeah, I know, I know, you know, you, I think one night was in Montana the next night, Idaho, and then the next night, back into Montana. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: Uh, and then Dave was like, well, you know, we don't cover the off nights, right? I'm like, uh, no, I didn't. Uh, Rocky told me you did. And he's like, well, what you do, Earl, is you go to the hotel the day before and just hang out in the lobby and then uh, go to a strip club for a few hours. And then next thing you know, it's the d- time of the show.
1: It's like a oh, what? Good God. Uh, what the hell? So, uh, you know, the, the Jack Ruby uh, method, I guess, is <laughs> yes, yeah, <it's> like,
0: hey, <laughs> this isn't gonna work for me. And,
1: uh, yeah, but
0: I just those memories came flooding back. And then, like, yeah, I told you, uh, in message, the, the last two gigs in Elko and Winnemucca, I went up to, to that, uh um reception area i think it was uh, the winner's casino and i i remember that girl like it was it, oh, oh man mom. wasn't she she was like a, a doll what a great personality uh and then
1: she, she almost looks like she must have been a, a plant like you know she's an actress but no that was the girl that worked there yeah and then the ball
0: i remember the, the gig was like in a not a ballroom but it was like in a uh
1: some type like of, kind of a conference room
0: yeah and then they would just and the chairs were like the first row was i don't know 30 40 feet from the where they had the mic and uh you know i survived i probably wasn't ready to feature for anyone back then but uh you know roger was cool and you know i i cried i cried a little bit when i looked him up and found out he had passed uh yeah golly because he was like the he was a weird road comic you know he was I should say one of those weird type of celebrities in the seventies, you know, it was like a white Nipsey Russell where you're, you know, he was on like the Hollywood squares, but like didn't know what he did. Uh, but he was, <laughs> um, but that so many memories came back and yeah, you know, knowing that you and Dan are friends. Uh, oh yeah. Was, uh, do you think you could do a type of run like that, which in the movie was five weeks, 33 shows with a stranger?
1: Well, I mean, by, you know, after driving with them for five weeks, you you know how it is. You know them inside. You know about their wife and their kids and their kidney operation. And so they start out a stranger. But by the end of it, you're either going to be good friends or you're going to hate each other (laughs) with a white hot burning passion. Well, I I will say there was Dan, Dan and I and then David Oyster, the guy who shot the film, the director. Dan and David damn near came to blows at one point. And I think it was, we're in Astoria, Oregon. And David was trying to shoot some stuff while we were driving around town. And Dan was on the phone with his dad arguing and David just got pissed off. And he was like, you know, know, we're we're trying to shoot a movie. And next thing you know, they're in the middle of the street shouting at each other, calling, you know, I'm going to beat your ass motherfucker and all that kind of stuff. And I was just thinking, good God, I wish I had the camera and I could be shooting this, (laughs) but it went it went unshot. But, they, you know, they kind of patched things up after that. Um, you know, they kind of uh, got along. But I, I think uh, if David Oyster could have killed Dan and buried him in a shallow grave <laughs> somewhere in, in the wilds of Montana or, or, or Washington or Oregon, he would have. But we got through it. Well,
2: I, it's, I think that
0: all the driving and the lack of sleep, you know, you're in beds that are pretty nasty. Uh, you know, it makes you almost delusional. Uh, but yeah, you're, oh yeah, puts you in like this X Files state of mind where
1: <laughs> you're you're dehydrated, exhausted, confused. Yeah, road rashy, and you you know the gigs you're doing aren't exactly you know
0: Dane Cook at Madison Square Garden. It's like <laughs> you know you're like the Winners Casino. You're in like some conference thing, and the crowds push back, or you know Elko. I think it was a I remember it was a uh, the, the lobby, uh, uh, or not the lobby, but like a side room in the lobby and, and it was yeah, yeah. And uh, a shaped weird. So and the crowds are kind of you know, they're different each night, you know. They're oh yeah. You know, you happened to get lucky when there was a black dude in Elko. That was amazing. Oh my god,
1: yeah. I mean you gotta, you know, those little gifts like that, you gotta take advantage of whatever the comedy gods give you, you know. Now looking back,
0: I you know, now we do clubs and, and whatnot, and, you know, you have an easier time putting a set list together, but uh, did you put set lists for those type of wacky bar shows and, and ho- hotel lobby side rooms, or do you more have a lot of jokes in your head and you, you go where the audience takes you?
1: Yeah. Well, I, try, you know, I've got a set list just in case, you know, if you're like at cruising altitude and everything's going well, know, I like to have a set list, but I also like to be able to, you know, like with the with the black guy in Elko or, you know, there was a I don't know if you remember, but there in Billings, there was like a private party and the boss and a hot, you know, assistant were up front. And, you know, that was like 10 minutes of my act. So I try to, you know, deviate from the script and then, you know, get back like, you know, your closing bit or whatever, you know, get back to it, which sometimes you you forget whole, you know, as you know, you forget you know, big chunks of material when you when you improvise, but sometimes it's so much better than your than your act anyway that it's worth doing. And it's a hell of a lot more interesting and fun for the comic and the audience when you're talking to them.
0: I think you broke it down perfectly when you were like, "You got to do at least ten minutes on the local, uh, you know, environment." Uh, yeah, I forget who told me it might have been Roger. Actually, he's like, "Hey, if you hit a rough spot, you're not doing well. Just joke about the next town." because um, yeah. there's a rivalry of let's say between Elko and Winnemucca they don't like each other yeah. uh, and he was right so um,
1: like well I learned in Montana because Butte kind of has a reputation you know it's kind of a tough blue-collar town it was a, a mining town that, that went you know the, the mine went bust so you know like if you're in Helena or Kalispell or someplace you can make fun of Butte you know I, I made the mistake of always I, I I made fun of Butte in Butte and I was. I always wondered why, I, you know, my sets weren't as, as good as I wanted to be there because I was always bad-mouthing towns, like, you know, Evel Knievel's from Butte, and, you know, when, when I'm there, I, I want to strap a, a rocket to my ass and blast myself to Anaconda. And, you know, I would get a laugh, but I think they also kind of got a you know, chip on their shoulder, like, hey, man, you know, don't, don't mess with Butte. And, frankly, it, I'm lucky to be alive, you know.
0: Oh, I, well, we did that one gig together in uh, Sholo, Arizona. But... yeah. Yeah, uh, the
1: White I, Mountain, uh, the, the the White Mountains of Arizona. Well, I think it, uh, and this just goes to show you the the
0: feelings and whatever you get from doing one gig. I think it was just that one gig we did and drove back.
1: Yeah, we drove. I mean, that was like what about a twenty-four hour round trip? I just
0: remember on paper it looked like a about an eight-hour drive, and uh mm-hmm. for whatever
1: reason, In the it, mountains.
0: Yeah, it was took us probably thirteen and. Um, <laughs> You know, I was looking back. I was pretty nervous to be opening up for you because uh, I probably didn't have a half hour at that point.
1: Uh, I, as I recall, you did well.
0: I survived. Uh, you know, I,
1: <laughs> no, you're you're being humble. You did better than survive. But
0: I mean, you know, I think I felt bad because the whole car ride up there in the mountains, I had this horrific gas, and uh, <laughs> you know, I
1: remember that the morning because we I think we drove through the night, and in the morning, I heard like this popping sound. I was like. <laughs> Is that, you know, because you had a nice car, it was a, the, the Explorer or whatever. It's like, man, that is his car. It couldn't be. And you just get, pop, bump, bump, bump. And I was like, he's farting. And you just, get, it went on and on and on. And I was like, that's gotta be the longest series of popcorn farts in the history of humanity. And the smell of the car uh, after that.
0: <laughs> I don't know if it's because of the altitude, uh, but I remember you asked me to stop off at, there was this weird general store like halfway up the mountain like i guess they're 7-eleven he's like hey i we gotta stop and i'm like oh do you need something to drink he's like no i just got to get out of this car for a few minutes and uh i uh,
1: you don't know. remember that but I, I was probably you know dizzy and brain damaged at that point so
0: well that's the thing i think we got up there i'll never forget it was on a monday night so we i think i picked you up sunday night at, i don't know uh you know three or four in the morning we had planned it where we'd have a few hours of sleep and we i think we ended up getting maybe an hour of sleep because it took us so long and we went right to the yeah. stage uh yeah i remember the intro i got I, I think the guy called me uh he asked me if i had any credits and i was like no no just say i was in <laughs> i didn't i mean this is 2001 i had nothing i'm just uh just say i, I was in star wars uh and uh <laughs> my really first road gig he's like hey you're gonna love this guy you've seen him in the movie star wars uh he played Stormtrooper (laughs) number 700 uh and oh boy and uh i just remember citizen
1: kane why not uh (laughs) open for al jolson earl skagel hello my baby uh (laughs) but
0: you know on the road i think whether it's right or wrong you know it's your tv credits that they usually make a big deal out of So if you don't have, yeah. you know, Hey, this guy's yeah. funny.
1: Um, well, like when I'm watching the the documentary, I noticed that my intro is uh, he writes for Jay Leno, which was true. You've seen him on comedy central. I was thinking, no, I've never, I, I must've been, I must've been telling people to say that just because back in those days, everybody, you know, except for me, apparently was on comedy central. So I was like, well, they're, they're probably not going to check up on it. So, cause I was, I was the same way. I had, I had so little TV credits that, now, you know, I've been on the Arsenio Hall show. I mean, I could I could go on for, you know, the Arsenio Hall show. Uh, there was that, that appearance on Arsenio. But uh, yeah, back then I was a little light in the resume myself, you know? And I want to get to that Arsenio Hall
0: appearance because that almost, I started thinking of that and that almost made me cry. Uh, you know, I'm, I get emotional when I, I see really cool things happen to my friends. And at that point, but, you know, when you got Arsenio, I guess you'd say, and we're the same age, so this isn't like a roast battle, you know, dig.
1: I think I think you're a little
2: younger than I am.
0: Barely. But, you know, we were <laughs> All right. to get on TV for your first time as a stand up, as an older white uh comic. It's uh, like that. I always tell people now that's the worst category you can be. It's just a semi-good-looking older white dude. It's just...
1: <laughs> yeah, there's a... You lift up a rock in L.A. and three guys like that come slithering out, you know? I mean, you either have to be grotesquely
0: fat, uh, a minority uh, missing a arm... A hook. <laughs> yeah. You have to be like, that guy We, or girl we could cast as, you know, the next fat Albert. Uh, and then yeah. they look at you or me, uh, okay, he could maybe play pedophile number two on Law & Order. <laughs>
1: They are generic.
0: But you are, yeah, I guess, to a casting yeah. person. But so what was that like? And this has nothing to do with the documentary, but like to get that first shot, it, it made me. Oh, my God. Because,
1: like well, you know, I got I got hired to write. I, I'm years like I was writing for Jay Leno. Right. And one day I got five jokes a, a, as a freelancer. So I'm making like 75 bucks a joke. I'm not on the writing staff. I'm not in the union. I'm fairly scraping by. And one night, I got five jokes on The Tonight Show. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, if I got five jokes, so he's got like 25 jokes in this whole monologue. What the hell are the staff writers? So I called, you know, I got, you know, Jay actually took my call. And I was like, Jay, give me a job, man. You know, I, I got five jokes on last night. And then shortly thereafter, he called me up and he said, listen, you know, if you want to write some jokes for Arsenio Hall? And I was like, yes. And so I got, you know, Arsenio and I had lunch at at the uh, P.F. Chang's in Northridge. And he was just delightful. We had like three hours. I'm talking, I'm asking all these questions. He was just he was just fascinating and funny and cool. I wrote some jokes for him for an upcoming Tonight Show appearance. And then we just stayed in touch. And then when he got his, um, you know, his show, I emailed him. I was like, man, I really want to be on your writing staff, you know, and he hired me. And so I'm I'm on the writing staff and I, you know, I was in a couple of little sketches. And then one day I'm watching his um rehearsal, his monologue rehearsal, and he walked over to the side of the stage where I was sitting there in my mobility scooter, and he said, He said, Come up with like three or four minutes of your best shit. I'm gonna put you on the show to do stand-up and you're gonna crush it. You know. And I was like, Yes, sir. That was it. I mean, there were like there was, you know. There, there was no usually, you know, they would want to see the set on, you know, at, at a comedy club, and the and producers would get involved. But he would just like he skipped like all of the protocols and just said, "I'm putting you on. You're gonna crush it." And I was like, you know, and he put me on, and it went really well. And the executive producer said, "Be ready to do this like every ten weeks," and then of course the show got, you know, got canceled. But yeah, it, it was just it was like it was heaven, you know. And I knew, like, after, you know, I was 49 years old, I've been doing comedy for 20-some-odd years. It's like, if I can't do a tight, killer four minutes, you know, then fuck me and the horse I rode in on. You know what I mean? It's like, like, if somebody said to you, Earl, you know, can you do a good four minutes? You'd be like, fuck, yeah, I can do a good four minutes, you know? So okay. I, I felt very confident, you know, like I could distill my act to to a good, without trying to rush it, you know, just do a tight, good four minutes. And it it was just heaven, you know? It was just like one of the happiest days of my life well i remember watching it and
0: just uh, tears the you know it was like that scene in rocky and i know it's a fake movie but you know it's a pretty good movie where he's fighting apollo creed and they they show his hometown bar and like every yeah yeah all the people who kind of made fun of him throughout the whole movie are watching rooting for him and i know like yeah any any comic who knew you uh oh yeah uh, was like rooting for you uh because that's a you know it, even though there's more stand up on TV than ever now it's still hard to get on uh, you
1: know oh, yeah. unless, unless you have a manager or agent who, like which I never had not not for lack of you know I thought when I got to LA they they would come out of the woodwork but uh, not so much.
0: Well, I always liked Arsenio because he he I got the I've never met him but he would always have 80s metal bands on uh, and that was at a time where. 80s metal probably wasn't very popular anymore and he would have a band on like slaughter (laughs) uh yeah yeah. (laughs) kiss on when kiss was not very popular uh yeah and i was like i like this guy he's i don't know if it's him or maybe
1: the no it is it is him he's got he's got like an amazing uh knowledge of show business and history of the you know the 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 whole history of show business, because I mean, we like in writers' meetings. He would say things that was like, "My God, this guy is like a Google search." You know, he just he knows everything, and after- he knows everything. He, you know, he's been doing it for so long that you know he, he's open for you know he he opened for Michael Jackson and you know Smokey Robinson. There's there's just like you know he's he's friends with Bill Clinton for God's sake. You know, I mean, if he walked up to Queen Elizabeth, you'd be like, "Hello, Senor." <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, he always reminded me of, like, a black Tom Dreeson. Like, Tom Tom Dreeson's, like, I think he holds the record for most uh, Tonight Show appearances. Uh, some, some- yeah. yeah, open for Sinatra. Yeah, and, like, uh, he had a party at his house once. Uh, I went to, because I knew his daughter, and it was very much like that. You know, Joe Pesci comes in, hey, Tom. Like, everyone made sure to wow. say hello to Tom first. Uh, yeah. And I get the feeling Arsenio is, is like, and I guess a more known version of Tom. Uh, yeah.
1: Everybody knows him and everybody likes him, you know, kind of like Tom Dreesen. It's like being known is one thing, but being liked by everybody is, is just pure gold, you know? Well, that's the same with you though. Like I've never heard in
0: 22 years of comedy, one person say a bad word about you or like, um, you know, when you got Arsenio, I, I got to get out more. <laughs> well, you really do. How's your, int- how, how's your physical being, uh, doing these days?
1: I, you know, I'm not the same. I mean, I still walk at about 25 percent of normal speed with a cane. And I, I get around the neighborhood on a scooter. And, uh, you know, when I perform, I'm doing it sitting in a, in a, on a bar stool. But, I, you know, I think I'm funnier because I, you know, I have less distractions. I mean, I'm not I'm not out, you know, I'm not out chasing tail. You know, I'm, 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 you know, living inside my head more.
0: Well, for those of you going, what the hell are you asking about? his medical condition now. You had an accident. Uh, can you just say, uh, you know, you don't have to get into the details, but uh, can
1: you tell the audience what happened to you? Yeah, it was uh, 2005. I was uh, living in L.A. and I, was, I went surfing. I'd been surfing just a few times. I was just a, a novice, and I was in Malibu with my cousin, who was a pretty good surfer. And I stood up on the board and a wave just jammed me down into the sand and, and basically broke my neck, you know, so I'm face down in the water holding my breath. And then luckily there was a guy on the beach throwing the Frisbee who saw me and came and flipped me over and then saved my life. And I'm still friends with him. He was an English guy. And I'm still friends with him and his buddy who were there on Facebook <laughs> all these years later, you know, I, I wish him happy birthday and periodically, you know, remind him that, you know, Hey man, if it wasn't for you. I wouldn't be here. And did that make doing the road?
0: I mean, doing the road if you're in perfect physical condition, like I'm myself in like almost a bodybuilder-like condition internally. Hey, no, you're yeah, you're a,
1: you're you're like Hulk Hogan meets you know Stallone. Yeah, minus the
0: HGH and roids. Uh
1: <laughs> and much it, much younger.
0: <laughs> well, not ba- barely. Uh, I was making fun of Sting, the wrestler, the other day because he's my favorite, and he, he's still wrestling. And my buddy looks at me and goes, Earl, you know, you're only eight years younger than Sting. And that kind of drove <laughs> me. Um, but.
1: And, and Rick Flair went until he was like 70, right?
0: Well, he he did it because he needs the money. Like, uh, um, it, it just it came out yesterday. He's going through his fifth divorce. And. Uh, I, yeah, that'll do it. Well, yeah. I mean, I know guys who have one divorce and they, they got to do the road. They're probably. Yeah, tripling up, going. Please don't retire yet, Dave. I need that, uh, you know, uh, Medford, Oregon gig. Um, <laughs> but it, you know, doing the road if you're in great shape is exhausting. You know, because you're usually in a car for you know minimum five hours, probably closer to ten to fifteen. Uh, did yeah. that. Hamper your ability to do gigs that, like that were in the world. Yeah,
1: I mean, like doing like like doing stuff like like tribal gigs and you know those kind of one nighters. I frankly I don't do them anymore now. You know I'll do a casino gig or I'll do a corporate gig. I mean it's got to like pay and it's got to be worth you know worth my while to for me to to suffer <laughs> you know and experience all the, the the pain of walking and schlepping around. So I like I look at my my practice now as like a boutique. You know, I, I do less work, but better, you know, better gigs. But, yeah. I mean, I'll tell you what, I mean, I built my act doing doing just those kind of one nighters. I mean, that you want to build an act, you know, that's that's how you do it. Yeah,
0: I mean, I
1: and I guess I was
0: never a road comic full time. I tried to be an L.A. comic slash road comic. Uh, well, you're You're a comedy store regular yeah and that's cool it's it's hey listen it's great uh but it's the greatest club in the world yeah no i not a day goes by where i I walk my dog and see my name i had to wait so long phil that my name is on the front of the building so it worked out wow that's so cool but uh you know it's like the road It's, it's what you make of it you know yeah there's a lot of comics we know who are paid regulars and they they just think the the whole city of Hollywood's going to give them the keys and it just doesn't work like that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's I think now is a time where you could put out a documentary like one nighters on your own. I mean, I'm sure you had help a little bit, but uh, I think it's never been a better time to create your own content, whether it be YouTube uh, or, you know, the 50 streaming services that need content.
1: Um, Yeah. Cause I mean, I tell you what, I mean, I made a, Feature length documentary with, you know, the Judy Tenuda and Billy Gardell and all these, you know, heavyweight comics. And I mean, I think it, it holds together really well. And I had, you know, I'd never been to film school. I had no budget. Um, I, you know, I eventually spent a, a nice chunk of my own money to get it properly edited. But, yeah, I mean, if, if you, you know, it's like it starts off with a, with a dream, with a concept. And if you just don't let up on it and never give up on it, you can make it happen. You Had trying, I known how hard it was going to be and how long it was going to take, I never would have started it. But thank God, you know, I didn't. You know, well, was I just think, big ignorant.
0: I, I mean, like I said, comics should listen to it, uh, no matter what their success. I mean, I think Russell Peters would enjoy watching this, uh, and then any beginning road comic. And I know uh, Treble's retiring, but there's, there will be. Is he really? Some- that's what I heard through the grapevine that he's uh I know
1: I will bet you his I'll bet the the pay because it back then that was a hundred dollars for the feature and two hundred yep. for the headliner I will bet you that has not gone up a penny in uh in the intervening years
0: well, you know it's weird though it's and it goes to show you the naivete of most people definitely myself when I rocky was like, hey, that's a hundred bucks a gig I thought, oh my God, that's crazy that's a lot of money. Uh, you know,
1: that's uh, <laughs> I'm gonna get rich.
0: I really thought that, and uh, I think it was uh, at the time, you know, the first week wasn't canceled, so I'm like, okay, that's I think nine ten gigs, that's like a thousand bucks, that's great. Yeah, you know? yeah, uh, gas prices weren't horrible, and then I oh, yeah, maybe six hours into the drive, uh, when a swarm of bees came into the car, uh, <laughs> the headliner was sleeping in the back, his buddy who was probably a worse comic than me, but he was really good with women. That's why he was the MC. This guy was like a... a Is he from L.A.? Yeah, yeah. He he didn't really do stand-up, but I think the headliner wanted him around because he was like a, a baby John Stamos. He, he looked just like him. Oh. And, uh you know, so when I, me being the feature act, let me, I had to dig a hole many a night when he was just picking up girls as his warm up, uh, and uh, you know, I was like, oh my god, I'm going to lose a lot of money on this trip. We we're already, <laughs> uh, and I probably I made a thousand, or no, I made uh, was it six hundred bucks, and I probably spent eight hundred on gas. Um,
1: <laughs> and you had a gigantic uh, car too. That was, I'm sure, it was a guzzler. Yeah, I had a Ford
0: Expedition, so, you know, to fill up that is minimum $80, even back then. Oh, my God. Decent prices. Uh, so I remember the last time I gassed it up to come back to L.A., I was like, what a disaster this was. This is <laughs>
1: uh,
0: no more treble runs for Earl, but uh, I think Dave. You know,
1: you were talking about the, the girl, man. When I worked with Rocky uh, Watool. We, will, we won't name his, his actual name, Rocky, Watool, but he, man, women were on him like a cheap suit, you know? I mean, I was like the elephant man. I mean, just they just, like, knocked me out of the way to get to him. And I was the headliner, so my, my ego was badly bruised.
0: Well, that was probably the funniest part of the documentary, <laughs> was uh, you making out with that girl at the bar.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was an act, That's a true story. Oh, we really, we really, you know, connected, man. That was well, love. Well, I and then the next shot
0: is you opening up the door in the hotel looking like you just
1: got <laughs> 10 rounds with Razor Ruddock. Uh, <laughs> and that was like the dumpiest little motel. I don't know. You ever notice like when you're on the road, you, you get lucky when you're in the absolute shite hole motel. When, when you're at the, the, the brand new Red Lion, nothing happens. But when you're in some you know, crack motel. That's when the, the ladies, uh, you know, show up.
0: Well, I don't think people realize that when you go to Elko or Winnemucca or Kalispell, Montana, you know, the odds of Joe Rogan or Seinfeld or Kevin Hart or, or Arsenio or Chappelle, they're not going to go there. So no. so then you or me or, or Rocky or, you know, Roger at the time, uh, but, we're their celebrity for that night. Uh, yeah.
1: You're as close to a celebrity as they're going to, so they're going
0: to find. And they just love you. And, uh, you yeah. know, so if you're a single comic and hell, even a few of our married comrades, uh, I think forgot about their wives. Uh, thing.
1: yeah, I've seen that phenomenon. It's it's
0: sad, but true. Well, especially on a, and that had nothing to do with, you know, you're, you're with Dan because, you know, uh, but you know, you're on the road for five weeks, and I mean, that's probably a marriage killer, uh, oh God, or, uh, or
1: girlfriend well and you know okay, you know that, that last scene in the movie where or one of the last scenes where Dan yeah you know, his girlfriend like runs into his arm it looks like he's been in Afghanistan or something, and they you know because they have five weeks, I mean that's a long time to be apart, and they they just hug and kiss, and you know she's like, you know, you know, man, it's so good to see it. They broke up like maybe a month after that, I mean. <laughs> You know, it looked like they were inseparable, but man, they were extremely separable. So it just shows you how ephemeral lo- love can be, you know?
0: I think, uh, the other half in a comedy relationship, uh, you know, you feel bad for them unless they're another comic and, and they get yeah. it. And of course that's another story, you know, two comics dating usually ends in disaster. Uh, yeah. Sometimes it works like in Natasha and uh, Moshe Kasher's case, uh, because you get each other like you get hey i'm doing a jerry
1: stiller and ann
0: mira yeah and and there's a few other successful uh comedy relationships that i know in la but uh you know if you're dating a non-comic i don't think they get it like no after uh you know i think the one scene where dan broke down his day when he was at the gas station he's like okay i'm gonna do a seven hour drive i'm gonna do local radio that takes two hours or whatever Uh, I'm going to do this laundry. I'm going to do that. And then I'm going to get on stage. (laughs) So it's a 12, 15 hour day sometimes. And, you know, you probably don't want to call your significant other when you just want to go to bed. Um, and then they don't get that. Like, why didn't you want to call me? And then that's where the problems I think can start.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, they, they were, he was bickering with his girlfriend pretty there were there were actually large segments of tape of, of Dan and his girlfriend fighting on the phone that that all got cut out. That was it was in my three hour version, but then thank God the uh, Jason Rouse the editor cut all that negative stuff out and made us look much less douchey in the final analysis.
0: Did anyone any uh, like when you were shopping it around? Was it the finished version that was shown on Amazon that that you were shopping, or was it the yeah three-
1: yeah? Well, because the um. Dan and I got the, okay, David Oyster shot the film and then he got divorced and he he moved to Colorado and he had the tapes, the original, you know, mini DV tapes for years. And I was just like calling him like, man, please send me a tape. Finally, we got the tapes or no, he put the tapes on a hard drive, but it was kind of second generation. So we were working on it and, you know, editing it and carving the story out, but it wasn't broadcast quality. And I only got Jason Rouse, my editor in, uh, in Portland, David Oyster went to Portland to visit his daughter and gave Jason Rouse the tapes, and they were rendered onto a hard drive, you know, clean. So I didn't have a broadcast quality version of this up until a couple of years ago. So it was like really driving me to distraction that I had this really cool movie, but it was so low def that, you know, nobody would, would even think about it. I wouldn't think about trying to sell it around until finally I got the you know the original tapes and and that you know that that was the the thing that made it you know possible. I mean, I don't know why for some reason
0: i I, I get the feeling that what you guys went through and selling it was the same thing. Uh, I know Stallone went through and trying to sell Rambo, which is like, dude, no one wants to see a movie about a crazy Vietnam vet uh, you know who's come back to <laughs> you know America. Would, feeling like a loser and, and I'm sure people and you tell me like, dude, no one wants to see a, a documentary about two comics. You know that we haven't heard of it. If it was Arsenio and, uh, you know, Kevin Hart. Yeah, that'd be funny. But, uh, you and Dan, yeah. did you run into any resistance? Like nobody knows who you are type vibe.
1: Well, I mean, I was hoping that having like people like Jay Leno and, you know, Billy Gardell. I think, I don't know if you knew Tim Wilson, the guy with the cowboy hat, I thought his insights were the best of, of anybody in the film. He was just he he has since passed away, you know, and the film is, is dedicated to him. But he was just so funny and and he, so he loved comedy so much and he was so good at it that to me, you know, I think I hope people are going to come away with it and and google him and and, and look him up on YouTube because he's got a, a wealth of great material none of which is in the movie. He, he just him talking is in the movie, which is is you know, entertaining enough, but you know, I'd like to, to see people get turned on to, to Tim Wilson and Daryl Rhodes and Jerry Farber, you know, and, you know, if people aren't aren't aware of Judy Tenuda, you know, they, they should be. But, you know, these are like serious heavyweight comics, you know. Oh, I mean, Tim
0: Wilson is uh, he's iconic to, to any comic. Yeah. because you say he's a comics comic, which is.
1: Yeah, and he was a guitar act, because you, you know how persnickety we are about, you know, oh, guitar acts are all hacks, but he was a freaking brilliant guitar act, and his, his stand-up without the guitar was brilliant, and then, you know, with the guitar, his songs were just hilarious. I mean, I, I think he would have been a household name had he lived a few more years. I really do. I mean,
0: you know, I feel the same way, uh, and I, usually I don't like to mention names when I'm saying they could have been bigger, should have been, but, you know, uh, Larry Bubbles Brown, uh who is a uh, northern california oh, brody yeah brody was
1: uh i know you were friends with him
0: yeah i mean he was supposed to do my podcast the day he uh you know uh killed himself i was like you couldn't yeah, have waited a my. day they
2: um, <laughs> uh,
1: couldn't he have just done the podcast and then killed himself later on that day i mean or even better do it on the air
2: uh you know
1: <laughs> yeah. man you you want to talk
0: about going viral absolutely I'd be in Austin with Rogan right now. Uh, (laughs) But it's so weird in this business, who makes it and who doesn't. And you could tell uh, at one point in the interview, he was talking about his LA experiences and he looked up off the 110 and he said, go to where people like you. Or uh, I forget the Yeah, yeah. And uh, which meant the South for him. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'm sure... It's such a double-edged sword to be a, I don't know, famous is the right word, but be a uh, well-looked-at road comic or be an L.A. industry comic. Like,
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: You know, because I think we yeah, all... Yeah, I
1: think that was it. I mean, he went out there to try to, like, you know, become the next, you know, Jeff Foxworthy or whatever, have a sitcom, you know, Rodney Carrington. And then, you know, after a while, he's like, no, I'll go back to the South. I'll do, you know, radio. I'll do Bob and Tom. I mean, that, like, Larry the Cable Guy, I mean, he became, you know, the highest paid comic in the world, you know, mostly from, like, that kind of mooring radio. And now, you know, he's a household name.
0: I mean, I never understood, you know, because I think a lot of people don't remember Larry the Cable Guy when he was, like, a regular looking... uh Yeah, Dan Whitney. Yeah, he was just, like, uh, almost like us, just doing regular jokes. Yeah. Either, I'll guess a manager put it into his head, hey, dude, just wear the cutoff flannel shirts, yeah. and the jeans with the boots uh, and the, the jeans under the boots. You know, I think
1: I, I worked with him at, at the Punchline in Atlanta like years ago when he was still Dan Whitney. I was opening, he was middling, I like Diane Ford or somebody was headlining and I was talking to him um, you know, between shows one time because I mean, the, the, when he would because he would at that time, he would do about five minutes of his act was Larry the Cable Guy and it killed and I was like, man, you ought to just do your whole act as Larry the Cable Guy. He's like, yeah, I know. I'm I'm doing. I'm I'm calling these radio stations every morning doing it. And he would get up like at four in the morning and call, every day of the week call radio stations for hours. I mean, he worked it like a like a day job. You know what I mean? He and he, you know, he was brilliant. It killed. And so it just, the, I think the audience basically told him, you know, you you got to just do Larry, and you know, let Dan Whitney be Dan Whitney. You know, because yeah, I mean that. And then I don't know if you remember, but like every comic and their brother started becoming a character. I mean, there was like yeah. you know, J- Joey the fishmonger, and you know Stevie the milkman, and nobody nobody broke big like him because you can't just do that. But he, and, and you know, I think it's like authentic to him. I mean, he's not really necessarily like that, but it was, it was such a defined character. You know, he he sold it so completely, and it was so him when he was doing it that it just killed. You know. And the the jokes were good. Well,
0: I just remember walking into a, uh, I was doing some road gig in Lake Havasu, the bar gig. And I.
1: Yeah, I've I've done that one.
0: I went into uh, the the Walmart just to kill a few minutes. And the whole right side of this Walmart was Larry the cable guy underwear, Larry the cable guy, (laughs) uh, the hats. Merch. And I'm like, okay, now I get it. Like, you know, I guess I would, you know, you know, he reminded me of like a regular, con- like an 80s metal uh, guitar act. So many of the bands I like, The Poison, The Rats, uh, you know, they all played like classically trained music and were making no money. Uh, and then yeah. they put some uh, dye in their hair and play a paint guitar with assless leathered pants. and <laughs> They're literally marketing. Mo- yeah, no, it, it's like, uh, at cash for God's sake. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to say I'm the kiss of comics, Uh, not the best comic, but, you know, I sell it. Uh, Yeah. uh, You know, I can't believe Kiss is still touring. I I think they played The Last Supper. Uh, (laughs) So how much like you and I I think fall into the same boat. We're not exactly uh, social media uh, darlings. Uh, how do you market yourself in an era of social media,
1: darling? It's like, I, I think you got to just, tr- tr- you know, do your best. Like, I'm going to just pimp, pimp this film on, on social media to the best of my ability and, uh, you know, take take my lumps, you know. But, yeah, I I wish I would have been I wish I would have been, <laughs> been paying more attention, you know, 15 years ago when MySpace came along.
0: Oh, sure. I mean, I remember I, I got to the MySpace party a little late. I was like, hey, if it worked
1: for Dane Cook, it worked for me. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Dane Cook became rich and famous on MySpace.
0: Yeah, well, he lucked out because I think his initial uh,
1: and, you know, I'd love to know who,
0: if it was either him or I'll assume a Barry the great Barry Katz. Uh, uh, yeah. uh, there's this site called Napster it's uh going away but if you get in there now you can really milk it and he was really the, i think the first comic who utilized napster uh yeah by putting his clips on there and uh, napster was very popular with college kids and you know yep. like, you know MySpace, he blew up uh so is it hard for you like you're a joke smith and like you're a comic is it hard for you to go oh man i gotta go on instagram and and
1: yeah, yeah, it doesn't come naturally. It's not it's not my forte, but you know, I work so hard on this film and it's it's you know, I I feel so strongly about it as as my baby that I'm I'm really going to I'm going to force myself to to learn what I got to learn and do what I got to do to try to just promote it to the best of my ability.
0: Well, I mean, I had to have you on I and mean, I know it's been you know, one of the sad things about comedy for me anyway is like I consider you a good friend, but I haven't seen you in years. Uh just cause it's
1: been too long.
0: You know, you get into different circuits and you know, kinda like how I fell out of touch with Roger and then, you know, he he departs Earth uh, and I didn't even know it. Um Yeah. You know, that's I guess the only bad thing about comedy is, you know, as you grow you you split apart from your you know your friends you were growing with and, you know uh i had to have you on just because uh i knew this documentary would be good because i knew it would be from the heart you know what's right, oh,
1: no it is this is this is a labor of love and this you know because that's the thing about like you know the arsenio set was cool but you know nobody's going to want to see that 10 years from now but like a documentary film that'll be out there forever you know i mean 100 years from now some some guy in norway trying to look up porn is going to find my film and <laughs> and watch it you know
0: <laughs> yeah, he'll, he, he'll see one nighters and just think it's about yeah. an anal gang. Uh, yes.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, after you did Arsenio, because I want people to see the better side of the business too. Like, did you find your road work uh, got better? Like, you didn't have to do the Elcos and the Winnemucas of the world?
1: Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I, I kind of just chose, I was just like, okay, I'm just not going to do $200 bar gigs anymore even though I, you know, I loved them and I would probably still love doing them. It's just for me getting there and getting back is such a pain that, um, yeah, it's, it's maybe more selective. And, um, but I, I'd, I'd love to do another writing job. I live in Atlanta now, but I would, I would move, I would, I would rent my house out, and move back to LA in a in a in a plug minute to, to write for TV again. I really love that. Well, yeah. For the right person. I mean, Arsenio was such a sweetheart. I mean, you know, I think there are some people that writing for them would, would be uh, hard to do, but he was he was real easy to work for. Well, I think he
0: probably saw your determination and persistence and it brought him back to a time where he was a struggling comic. And, you know, I'm sure even though he opened up for many, many big people, like you said, there was probably some of those shitty bar gigs that he did as a yeah. as a black comic that. yeah you know, like I remember the circuit. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I remember one gig I did, I, I don't know, it was in the Midwest somewhere and I d- had a joke about being Jewish. And, uh, the guy, <laughs> the owner of the bar comes up to me and goes, Hey, you can't really tell people you're Jewish around these parts. I'm like, why not? Oh, uh, Jeez. I mean, it's crazy. So, I, and then there was, uh, one gig I did in a, of a black part of town and I had a bright red car at the time. Uh I mean this thing was flaming bright red and uh we pull up to the gig and I was the headliner and I probably wasn't qualified but you know I took the gig and uh the guys like we're going to put you on first. I'm like no I'm the headliner I go on last you know close out the show. He's like no you're going to go on first. I'm like why is that? He's like what color is your car? I'm like it's bright red. He's like well this is a Crip neighborhood and I was like
2: oh my god
1: you know, I'll be going on first. And uh, <laughs> and I'll be getting the hell out of here <laughs> immediately be, after my set. I'll be leaving first as well.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, I don't miss those type of gigs. But you do miss the no.
2: camaraderie. Of, oh, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. You know, I, I think once you get on TV, and, and obviously we all want that, uh, you know, you're with successful comics for the most part. You know, in a writer's room, you, you kind of lose that hunger. Uh, yeah. Or that not that you want the drop the 12 hour drives back, but you do kind of reminisce about them.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I don't miss the drive. I miss the gigs, but I do not miss the driving. Oh, I'm telling you, that show gig we did was
0: what about <laughs> 20, 20 years ago? And I can remember how dreadful it was. Like we're still doing it. Uh yeah. You know, but uh Phil, this was amazing. Um I wish Thank
1: you it was a good pleasure, Earl. I mean, I, I've always been a huge fan of yours. Not just because when I first moved to LA, I, you had a hot blonde girlfriend with very large mammary glands, and I was like, <laughs> "I like these kids. There's just <laughs> there's something about this Earl and his girlfriend. I, I just like. I mean, you were, you know, I always liked you.
0: Well, I learned a lot from her just from the standpoint of she at the time and still does, even though all the original members are dead. Um, she manages Motorhead still. Uh,
1: Yeah. You were like Lemmy's uh, personal uh, guy. I was his ballet uh, for. Wow. I I still. I'm sure there there are stories you can't even tell yourself at this point.
0: (laughs) I can't. You know, Lemmy wouldn't mind because he was so uh, like I took him to the dentist once and uh, he's like, hey, can we stop off at Gil Turner's, which is a legendary liquor store on Sunset? Uh, you know it's like Charlie Sheen goes there so you know it's good um, <laughs> and he comes out with these two gigantic they look like baby kegs uh, and he <laughs> he up, opens them both and says hands me one I'm like dude I, I can't be like I, I don't drink Lemmy you know I mean? uh, he's like well you should start and he <laughs> From uh, West Hollywood to Westwood, which is where my dentist was, it's a ten-minute drive tops. He had finished both beers. uh,
2: Good God!
0: And his breath was out of control, Um, (laughs) and his BO from years of doing speed, he had ruined his sense of smell. So he didn't really know he had BO. So I I (laughs) dropped him off, and I pick him up. Like he was there for ten hours. I mean, his
2: oh
1: my God.
0: His dental stuff was just like any road comic had a better uh, mouth, than <laughs> uh, and the whole office smelled like lemon. Um, oh. I mean, it was. Uh, but I learned a lot from watching her manage them, and, and obviously they were getting theaters and and some yeah. shows. Like, okay, that that road seems pretty cool. Uh, yeah. But uh, just I root for this documentary, Bill. Thank Where can people find you online uh, to add you and and
1: follow you? Okay. um, I'm on Facebook. Of course, the movie's on Amazon, One Nighters. And, uh, you know, I'm on Twitter. But, yeah, just, you know, Google Phil Perrier and watch the movie. And uh, then Google Tim Wilson and, and Jerry Farber and all these cool people that, and, and you know, everybody did this for, nobody got paid, you know, Jay Leno, I asked him to do it. He didn't hesitate. He was, you know, he, he sat there for 45 minutes after a tonight show taping, he, he would have gone on longer. You know, it was just, it, it really, it was a, a, a breathtaking thing to see people who really love stand up. you know, like Billy. I mean, it, you know, they just, they just hopped on board and um, it, it really blew my mind, you know?
0: I know it has a good cliffhanger of sorts, do you still talk to Dan Friedman?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, he uh, <laughs> he is living in Ohio. He moved back where he, you know where he came from. And he's you know excited. He, I think he gave up on this thing ever happening and um so he's delighted that it's out there and uh, I'd like to I mean I'd like to I got this kind of dream that like he and I'll go and do the whole 5 weeks again except this time we'll have like an opening act it has got to be diverse because if you notice the film's a total cracker fest. So like have a, a gay black midget, you know, opening act, you know, some, and get trans like Filipino, some really diverse opening act. And then we can be like the mentor, you know, and 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 talk them through it the next day while we're driving to our next gig. Well,
0: like, you know, you made fun of the one guy who uh, seemed like a cross between Sloth from Goonies and, uh, uh, Ned Beatty and Deliverance giving you bad intros.
1: Oh, the the M, yeah, the yes, Greg. And I, I hope I, I don't know if he's still out there. Coos Bay. I hope Greg's still. He's probably still emceeing that that <laughs> triple gig.
0: But it's so important in these type of road gigs, you know, bars and you know, uh, non traditional comedy venues, you know, where they're playing pool and yeah, video poker that the MC or the host uh, is somewhat, uh you know talented in, in the art of getting a room to hey stop playing darts for two seconds, comedy's starting uh, yeah. and uh yeah I you're gonna
1: get you're gonna get bad intros and they're gonna mess your name up and you just gotta get used to it, yeah, but I mean I remember when I was doing Pogo's comedy
0: cabaret in doylestown uh I had the same point in my life. Very few credits. I think I was in the movie Benchwarmers. It was like legit. And uh I told the MC who I knew was pretty great. He was like a black version of the guy from Coos Bay. Like, <laughs> you no, know, I could tell he's gonna butcher this. I said Earl Scakel, bench warmers. And, and you know, because you know, crowds here, any movie or, or TV credit, they'll give you a little bit of leeway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He brought me up as Ernie Styles. And you've seen him and John Schneider, not Rob Schneider, but <laughs> uh, John Schneider's the bun warmers. Uh, like, yeah. what? John yeah. Schneider, the guy from One Day at a Time? Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but dude, I root for this so much and it's so Thank good you. to catch. You. I wish we had gotten up sooner, but please, everyone, uh, Google Phil Perrier, get all his social media, all listed. Dan Friedman as well. That's Friedman with a D um, and uh, watch the one nighters on Amazon uh, might be on YouTube, but
1: this is what I wanted to do this podcast for.
0: It's, what is it? $2 to, to uh, rent. On, I think
1: it's 99 cents to rent it on Amazon. So
0: it's literally under a dollar. And this is how guys like Phil and Dan and myself, you know, put puts a little change in our pocket and uh, maybe funds the next endeavor. Uh, so uh phil perrier is the best and please follow him and like his shit because he is the definition of persistence uh arsenio saw it now i want you all to see it phil perrier we'll talk soon okay god bless you god bless you phil take care man you too